glad, again, I'm glad you decided to take part in our online, on-site worship celebration. I'm glad you're here. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't think it's a trick question, but, you know, I've had... I've had teachers tell me that when I knew good and well, that meant that it was going to be a trick question. So, or tricky. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be careful and, and don't say the answer out loud. Because the answer that might be on the tip of your tongue might not be the answer you want recorded and put on the internet for all eternity or at least until the end of time. Uh, so I don't think it's a trick question, but the answer that might be, you know, the first one to pop out uh, may not be the one, the one you want to say out loud. And since I don't want you to say it out loud, you should be safe, all right? So just listen to this question and answer it in, uh, carefully and prayerfully. One thing... Does Jesus want for our congregation as we move forward from these years of chaos? Well, let me read it one more time. And so you can think about it a little bit. What one thing does Jesus want for our congregation as we move forward from these years of chaos, these last two years of if you don't remember, they've been pretty chaotic, right? Yeah? Okay, well, maybe I'm only the one who jumps up. Uh, so while you're thinking about how you might answer that, let me tell you what my answer is. Uh, I shared it with you a few weeks ago, so some of you are going to not be surprised when I say this. The essential reason, reason, the essential reason for our existence as a congregation is to see that Jesus encounters people and transforms their lives in our meetings. That's the purpose, by the way, I believe, of every congregation. And to fulfill that objective, we will need a higher level of prayer. Now, I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about from a little book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. This last Wednesday evening, I found out it actually has a subtitle. After all these years of reading and rereading this, I found out it has a subtitle. I didn't realize this. See, on the cover it just says Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I had no idea. It actually has a subtitle, What Happens When God's Spirit Invades the Heart of His People. I, I didn't know that was there. So somebody said that to me once in the night. I go, huh, what? No, yeah, it's actually on the title page. That's the only place it shows up. Unless you Google the book, and then it's all there. I, okay, so, it was a good day Wednesday. I learned something. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna. Ex 
demonstrate my age. Uh, I'm going to take those off. I, I want to share with you, uh, I'm going to not read the whole thing. I'm going to summarize a whole lot of it. And Pastor Jim Simbola of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in uh, uh, Brooklyn, New York, city of New York, uh, home for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Many of you may have heard of that. They're a Grammy award-winning uh, musical group. Um, they, they, uh, they try to minister all kinds of people uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn. In New York City, you may not know this, you probably do if you've watched any, anything on TV. There are all kinds of people in New York. They're really, 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 really rich people. And there are really, 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 really poor people. There are really, 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 really socially acceptable people. And there are really, really, really socially unacceptable people. And the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church tries to be home to all of them. Mm, yeah. Amen. That should be on the internet for all time. Just preaching there, excuse me. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Some people might call it meddling. Thank you for those who supported me or encouraged me, actually. So, what they do, though, I would, they, they don't just go, oh, let's have a meeting. And then the, the pastor or this board meeting says, okay, we need to start a ministry to this group of people. They wait until God gets a group of people together and they come and say, we really think we need to start working with this group of people. And the leaders say, okay, go do it. We'll help you. But it's your, it's your thing. Their experience has been that when God tells somebody that he has a job for them, that they're far more likely to do it than if the pastor tells them that the church has a job for them. Hmm. Okay, well, there's a, okay, well, that's right. Let me tell you, there, a guy, Pastor Simpla says there's a, a guy named Terry and several others in the group. They, they grew concerned about a subculture of male prostitutes who lived on the west side of Manhattan in abandoned vehicles and subterranean uh, uh, cavities, most of them dressed in drag. Uh, and offered themselves to customers at night. Most of them were drug addicts, uh, cocaine, heroin. Um, and they started to, to work with them. Pastor's daughter was one of the ones who went to talk to them. They took them food, they took them blankets, they tried to help them. Um, and uh, one Sunday, for the afternoon, Sunday afternoon service at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, they took a bunch of bands out and brought 27 of these guys into the church service. And, uh, okay, so remember I said there were all kinds of people. There's, these are on this, the not so socially acceptable end of the spectrum. They, were, they lived on the streets. When you live in an abandoned car, there's really not a shower facility. 
Put these back on so I can see if everybody's paying attention. It's hard to see this and you at the same time. So, okay, so these guys are there. And guess what? Nobody freaked out, which is good because Basher found out later one of them had a machete up his sleeve, just in case. You never know what's going to happen when you go to church. <laughs> After the service, he's walking down the center aisle and he bumps into an he says he bumps into an attractive woman uh, in a black dress, blonde hair, shoulder length, uh, nicely done nails, black stockings, high heels. He says, "Excuse me, ma'am." Uh, she turned and this low voice with a heavy Spanish accent said. No, that's okay, man. <laughs> it was not a woman. After all, his name was Ricardo, known on the street as Sarah. Ricardo had been plying his trade for at least 10 years, and he was becoming weary uh, with it all, and it was starting to get to him. And just imagine, this guy sold himself all night long to get a few hundred dollars so that he could buy cocaine, get high, go to sleep through the day, wake up, go through the garbage bins to find some food so he could go through the whole routine again for the next 24 hours. That's his life. He began to attend some meetings at the church and it began to dawn on him that maybe Jesus could make a difference in his life. He kept listening, and about a month, after about a month, he gave his heart to the Lord. It wasn't a dramatic, Pastor Sibylla says, it was not a, a dramatic conversion. I'm not even sure when it happened, but it was real on the inside. He says, I will never forget the Tuesday night we introduced him to the congregation, their Tuesday night prayer meeting. He stood before us a bit shy in men's clothing. His blonde hair had been cut. The dark roots were starting to grow out. His nail polish was cleaned off. And in the months that followed, Ricardo made great progress in his spiritual life. It took, it took him three months to get cleaned up enough to get checked into rehab for his cocaine. I want you to think about that for a minute. How bad off do you have to be to clean up for three months before you can check in to rehab? Nevertheless, Pastor Sibylla says his commitment to follow Jesus was solid. The old had gone, the new had definitely come. He cleaned up, he sobered up, his life was transformed, and he moved to Texas. Pastor Simla says he was in Texas one summer and he ran into him. It was great to see the transformation. He gained weight and he was, he was a man. And he said, Pastor, I wish you could come back in two weeks. I'm getting married. What? Yeah, that's, that's what Pastor Symbolist said. Uh, 
Yes, I've met a Christian woman named Betty, and we love each other deeply. We're getting married. The fact that Ricardo had AIDS made the situation complicated, but with guidance and counseling, he and Betty established a new home together. Now, listen. This is the part about the prayer that I really want you to catch. A few years later, Christmas time, Pastor Simla says, while I was sitting in my office, just as the Sunday afternoon service was about to start, I received a message that said Ricardo was dying and he wanted to talk to me. I slumped in my chair as I picked up the phone. Betty's voice greeted me. Hello, Pastor. When I put my husband on the phone, you won't be able to hear much because he's very weak, but he still remembers all that you and the church did for him. At that moment, I heard a wispy, fragile voice say, Pastor, Simbola, I'm so glad to hear you. I choked up. Ricardo continued, forcing out the breathy syllables. I never forgot how you all loved me and took me in. Thank you so much. Pastor Nassimula said, my ministerial instincts revived and I prepared to make a comforting little speech to tell him he would be going to heaven soon, that he would get there before me, but I would see him on the other side and we would spend eternity together. Listen. The Holy Spirit stopped me. No, a voice seemed to say, fight for him, cry out to me. I changed course. Pastor Simula says, Ricardo, I'm going to pray for you right now. Don't try to pray along with me. Save your strength. I began to intercede with intensity, fighting against the death that loomed before him. Oh God, touch Ricardo with your power. This is not his time to die. Restore him for your glory, I pray. I remember even hitting my desk a couple of times with my fist. When I finished, I marched directly into the afternoon service and stopped it. I have just gotten off the phone with Ricardo. Several of the people remembered him. I said, he's very sick with AIDS, but I want to pray for his recovery. The church stopped everything and broke out in prayer for his recovery. I called Betty two days later. Pastor Simbola, it's incredible. He turned around. After you two talked, he went to sleep and he woke up and he's better. And then Pastor Simbola said within three weeks, Ricardo actually flew to New York City and came walking unannounced into our Tuesday night prayer meeting. Did you catch that? 
When was the last time the Holy Spirit interrupted your prayer time and told you to stop praying what you were praying and start praying something else? You see, that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about we need to learn a new level of prayer, I'm talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to say, no, that's not what I want you to pray for. <clears throat> When was the last time the Holy Spirit interrupted your prayer to tell you to pray a different way? Now, some of you are thinking, well, I, you know, I, I've heard about that. I, that that uh, Jim Silver guy, he's kind of a charismatic. I don't care. But in case some of you might know a guy named Oswald Chambers, he wasn't charismatic. He described the practice of prayer this way. Prayer is not logical. It is a mysterious working of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> See, this new level of prayer, the Holy Spirit teach in, in this new level of, of prayer, the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray in agreement with Jesus. Not just to pray the first thing that comes to our minds. Not just to pray the first thing that pops out of our mouths. And this does not come to us naturally. What pops out of our mouths comes to us naturally. The first thing that comes to our mind, that comes to us naturally. To pray in agreement with God's will does not come to us naturally. It didn't even come to Jesus automatically. He had to pray three times in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. times this level of alignment with Jesus will comes when we deliberately ask for the spirit's help to surrender to him Jesus discussed it with his disciples the night before his crucifixion he, he used some different different words but it's the same idea John chapter 14 verses 8 through 21 uh, he's, he's talked to them some of you may be familiar with the, the famous verses where Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me and Philip responds by saying Lord show us the father and we will be satisfied that's verse 8 and Jesus goes that's not, that sigh is not actually in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure it was there in the conversation. Because what he says is, have I, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. 
let that settle. It always bothers me when I read it, so I might as well let it settle. Because if it bothers me, I want it to bother you. I'm beneath. If it doesn't bother you, something's wrong. Jesus said, Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. He will never leave you he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to each of them. Now, I know I paused on that one thing, but did you catch the breathtaking promise? Beyond that statement that, you know, she'll do even greater things than what I've been doing. Uh, he, he said, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Now some of you are going, did he really mean that? Or was that kind of like uh, exaggeration for the sake of emphasis? that hyperbole. That's what my dad used to call that. I don't know if that's a real word or not. Probably in the dictionary. I can trust my dad to have no words that I didn't know. Uh, I think he did mean it because he repeated it several times. This is his conversation with his disciples on the night before he died. People don't usually spend time on their death, making their deathbed statements, saying things that they don't mean just to be saying stuff. They get limited amount of time and they want to say what they mean. They mean what they say. In John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And then in verse 16, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. And then in John chapter 16, he says, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive. And then a little later, he says, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying you will ask the Father I will ask the Father on your behalf, 
You will ask, he says, in my name. So here's the roundup of Jesus' promises about praying in his name. First of all, he says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. You, yes, ask for me for anything in my name and I will do it. Second, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Three, the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Four, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. And five, ask using my name, and you will receive. Five times in his deathbed statement, Jesus says, ask in my name, and you're going to receive. So what on earth does he mean? Because frankly, I don't see it happening. Oops. Did I just say that out loud in church on a Sunday morning? Out loud? Yes, I did. What does praying in Jesus' name involve? Is it some kind of magic code we tap on to the end of our prayers? Yeah. It's like abracadabra alakazam. I want peanut butter and jam. What is this praying in Jesus' name? I, I know people who I know people who who have been told that you cannot end a prayer by simply saying amen or goodbye. I do know someone who says goodbye at the end of the prayer. Uh, I love it. Uh, why not? It's kind of like a phone call, isn't it? Uh, I've, I've heard people say, you have to say, in Jesus' name, amen, or it's not a prayer, which is interesting because if you look at the Lord's Prayer, he does not say that. This is how you should pray, and you get to the end of it. It does not say, in Jesus' name, amen. It's not there. He doesn't even say goodbye. We just, it's over. Now here's the deal. It's really tempting for us to read these promises uh, on a transactional level, on a, for lack of a better, I don't, I, that's a phrase I picked up from somebody, but it's a, a business level. Uh, if I do this, then God has to do that. You know, so if I do if, if I pray in Jesus' name, then God has to give me whatever I ask for. I do my part, God does his part. I put down the money, I get what I ask for. That's what happens at the store, right? We go to the store. We take, you know, pick up our, the things we want off the shelf, take them to the cashier, lay down the money, we take them up and we walk out. Do not try to walk out without paying. That is not a good idea. It's tempting for us to read these promises that way, to think of it as a transaction. I do this, then God has to do that. 
Something within our fallen, broken humanity wants to somehow have a claim on God so we can tell him what to do. It doesn't work that way, folks. It doesn't. You don't tell the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords what to do. We need to learn to read these promises uh, at, at a completely different level, at a level where we surrender to him. Where we surrender our lives to God and sign on to his will and to his agenda. It's the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Remember he said, I, I referred to it a moment ago, this is how you should pray. And he starts with, our Father in heaven, hallowed or honored be your name, glorified be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We exchange our control and our desires and what we want for an abiding relationship with Jesus. And then the Spirit transforms our heart and mind and begins to teach us and to help us to reflect the heart and the mind of Christ in our relationships and in our lives. And he teaches us to pray the kinds of prayers that Jesus would pray. So that he can interrupt us and go, no, 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 that's not what I want you to pray. Or to pat us on the back and go, yes, that's exactly what I want you to pray. Keep it up. Jesus is going, amen, pray it, brother or sister. Whichever, you know, it's appropriate. We learn a way of praying that way that participates in the unfolding of God's will as it unfolds. Uh, we, we learn to pray with both humility and boldness. Humility in that we're submitting and surrendering to God's will, and yet at the same time with a whole boldness that whatever God says goes. If he says, no, pray for his life, then I can pray for his life knowing he's going to live. And if he says, no, pray for his grace for him as he goes through the valley of shadow of death, and comes home to be with me, then I can pray for him to have the grace to go home. Prayer becomes a place of laboring with God in the power of the Spirit for his will to be done. Unfortunately, we tend to see these promises like a galactic gumball machine. We give God prayers that end in the phrase, in Jesus' name, and he gives us whatever we've asked for. But it doesn't work that way. It never has. These promises are about connecting with Jesus. God connected, uh, uh, created us for rapport and communication, not for getting stuff. 
You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. That's what Jesus says. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. The first phrase of the, the first request in the Lord's Prayer is hallowed, honored, glorified be your name. This is the first thing we want when we pray like Jesus teaches us to pray. And then he says again, remember, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Praying in Jesus' name does not come to us easily. We have to become fully dependent on the Holy Spirit to help us know what and how to pray. These promises of praying in Jesus' name put Jesus at the center of our prayers, not us. Why is Jesus the center of our prayers? Because Jesus connects us to our Heavenly Father and He's the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. He's the one who fills us with God's presence and His love. When we really pray in Jesus' name, both intelligently and deliberately and biblically and scripturally, when we really do it, when we really pray in Jesus' name, it is as though Jesus prayed. Here's the sermon in a sentence. I want you to understand this. Nothing can stay the same when we truly pray in Jesus' name. Nothing can stay the same when we truly pray in Jesus' name. Some of us are probably going, yeah, but I've been saying in Jesus' name all my prayers for years and years and years and years and years, and I've got a long list of things that never happened. Well, I can only say when we really pray in Jesus' name, it's as if Jesus prayed, not us. And when Jesus prays, and when we pray in Jesus' name, nothing can stay the same. If it's just us praying, we may luck out. And I hate to use that phrase in terms of prayer, but occasionally we may actually ask the right thing by chance. You see, if we desire anything apart from Jesus in terms of our congregations, we desire anything apart from Jesus encountering people and transforming their lives in our meetings, we are off target. 
And it's time for us to begin to focus. We need to refocus on the essential reason for existence of the congregation. Our purpose is to provide environments where people encounter Jesus and his transforming power. It may not be as dramatic as Ricardo's transformation. But any time somebody's life is transformed, whether they're really socially acceptable or really socially unacceptable, whether they're really rich or really poor, whether they're really good, nice people, or whether they're really mean and dirty people, it doesn't matter. When any somebody, time somebody's life is transformed, it is a miracle only God can do. And that requires an entirely new approach to prayer. An approach where we submit to the Holy Spirit and ask him to teach us to pray the prayers Jesus is praying. No more, no less, nothing else. Because nothing stays the same. Nothing stays the same when we pray in Jesus' name. See, there has to be more than prayer lists and rep prayer records, and there has to be something more than just going through the motions of prayer and saying prayers every day. And there has to be some. There has to be. One of the things Jesus says, I would, I didn't, I almost highlighted it, but I'm going to go back and highlight it now because it's important for us to get. I can find it. There it is. It's in, uh, in John chapter 16. He says, ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant piles of answered requests. Nope, that's not what he said. You will have abundant piles of money. Here, that's not what he said. Some of you have already looked this up or you remember what it said when I said. What he says is, ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. There has to be more than what we've been experiencing because we've not been experiencing abundant joy. So what did we do? I think it's time for a decisive surrender and submission of our prayer list and our prayer journals or whatever it is that we use for, for in our prayer lives, it's time to take those and surrender them and submit them to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I think it's time for us to open up our prayer list and our prayer journals and ask the Holy Spirit to fine tune or correct each one of them, each prayer request, one at a time. 
And until we've worked through all those requests and all those needs, I think we need to present each one of those prayers and those requests with a simple prayer. Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done in this situation as it is in heaven. Bring God glory and honor however you see fit. And please show me what it is so I can pray intentionally and deliberately for your will. Here's a great example. And since she's here, I, I got this off of Kathy's Facebook feed. She shared it. And then I shared it on the church Facebook page. And now I'm going to share it in the Sunday morning service, and it's going to be on the bunch of feet. This is going to be out there. I don't know who this guy is, although I did look, and I have friends that are, I am friends with people who are friends of friends of his. So we're like, yeah. So in some people's families, we're cousins. So this is what he says. Now, I'm going to remind you, he, he mentions two passages of scripture. I'm going to remind you what he says. Romans 8.26 says the Spirit intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us. And then he also mentions Ephesians 3.21 20, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So he says my concern for Ukraine has me feeling small and foolish. As I pray, I'm leaning on Romans 8, 26 and Ephesians 3, 20, 20 and 21. So this is the prayer he's praying. Lord, I don't know exactly what to ask. So I pray for safety, for innocence, for courage and protection for my extended Christian family. There are a lot of Christians in Ukraine, by the way. In case you didn't know. I pray for gospel advance, for de-escalation, for wisdom for world leaders, for a quick but principled peace. Now, please take my confused and childlike groans and translate them into just the right request, then answer them in ways far beyond what I have asked or thought. Do your will. Show your power, your wisdom, your grace, your justice, your goodness. Help us as you alone can do. Amen. When we don't know what to pray. always a good idea to pray for God's will. And when we think we know what to pray, it's an even better idea to pray for God's will. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't have a prayer journal, I don't have a list of prayer requests, and, or, or maybe you're simply thinking you, you want to practice something else in addition to opening up your list of requests and and you want to do something to recognize Jesus as the center of your prayer. So I'm going to make a suggestion. That is that you, 
you, you get a small card or a slip of paper, or you can do this on your phone or some other, whatever device you want to use. I, how you do it is what? My, my daughters used to call this a pocket knife. They would put little Bible promises on slips of paper and carry them around with them and look at them throughout the day. So that's what I'm asking you to do. Write the Lord's Prayer on a card or a slip of paper. Keep it in your pocket. Put it on your phone. Put it in your, like, I don't, whatever you want to do. Okay? If, uh, put, keep it handy, though. And at least three times a day, pray the Lord's Prayer. Starting today, every day until Easter Sunday. And I want to help. So, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In this wild and crazy, mixed up, messed up world. Because frankly, we don't have a clue what we're doing. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. I'll let you go. I want to thank you for connecting either on site or on per in person today or online today. I really appreciate it. It's uh, a great honor for us to be able to be together. Folks, Jesus is the center of God's plan to transform and restore this broken world. And even though it's hard to believe and hard to see, he is doing it. And you and I are central to the Holy Spirit's mission to proclaim the story of Jesus to every man, woman, and child in Bay County and beyond. The Holy Spirit works in and through us to do far more than we could ever imagine or guess or request in our wildest dreams. He does it deeply and gently in us and through us. He renews our minds and he transforms our lives and he uses us to touch people through us with the love of Jesus that can change anyone, anytime, anywhere. So, As you follow Jesus, you are sent to love everyone, everywhere, every day. You are sent. Go with Jesus. <laughs>